0: Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 27th of August 2021. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director, Robert Barwick. Welcome. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, we're going to cover Time to bust open the sterling first cover-up where we're going to see how Josh Frydenberg is watering down ASIC's mandate to regulate the banks even more if that's possible. And secondly, what will we learn from 40 years of Afghanistan fiasco because we sure as hell better learn something. Um, Now, before we get started, uh, if you like this video, hit the like button and don't forget to hit the subscription uh, button so you get further shows each week when they come out and uh, ring the notification bell and then you'll be uh, notified when they're available and also share this as widely as possible. Uh, Extra information because we don't have time to cover everything in detail is available by clicking on the little I button on the top right hand of your screen. Uh, now updates first before we get started into the show uh, the manufacturing inquiry we've been asking people to write submissions to and you talked about this in the yep. show last week at length
1: well this this inquiry uh, is reports on the 24th of November but submissions close on the 10th of September so that's a couple of weeks probably I think I would say from today but um, Please get them in. And extraordinarily, Elisa, since we've been talking about this in the last few weeks, we have been contacted by a lot of people in the sector, especially older guys who have witnessed the decline of manufacturing in Australia. And they've all been contacting us to tell us what they know extraordinary story in the uh, TAFE sector to, to with the skills training because it 's not just manufacturing it's, the, it's we're, we're losing a skilled workforce and we're losing the capacity to train a skilled workforce right so that 's why last week we said time is running out on the real economy um, so this is this is a very very important thing to do you want to make sure this inquiry doesn't become a typical talk fest and we want people who really know what manufacturing is and really know what they're talking about everyone please make a submission. And everyone in general should make a submission. We're all Australians. This is all our country. We want a manufacturing sector. And we should make submissions that call for a national development bank. Because a development bank can get behind the potential that's there and revive it quite rapidly, right? So please do that. Despite everything else we're about to talk about, which is a certain... We want to do some extraordinary stuff in Parliament next week. Please remember this. 10th of September, you've got make a submission. The link's below.
0: Now on to the first topic and the <coughs> big campaign that you mentioned for next week. Time to bust open the Sterling First cover-up. We have a really crucial opportunity with Parliament sitting next week to make a, a really big, hard push, a drive to get an inquiry um, into Sterling First, which is the case we've covered a lot in regard to um, many pensioners who were ripped off by this company that had a whole history Of uh, breaching the regulations and were never pulled up by ASIC, Um, and that can lead to a much broader inquiry on ASIC and why it and the other regulators that are supposed to be policing the banks have no teeth whatsoever.
1: Um, Melissa, this is just sorry to drop. This is part of our campaign for a postal bank. Um, It's a it's a different dimension to it, but the essence of it is why do we need a postal bank or some form of public bank like that? because ASIC is deliberately weak, we'll, re- we'll read the quotes in a minute, deliberately weak so the government can protect the big four banks. They run the financial system in this country, and ASIC is supposed to be a weak little lapdog over here that never threatens them, right? And for that reason, because it's so weak, you can't even do basic stuff of protecting consumers, and that's what the Sterling First scandal is about. You need to break the monopoly of the big four. We've gotta break their power, and that's what a public bank can do. So it's part of the same picture But we're going to have to get an inquiry into the Sterling First scandal and into ASIC. And we do have a good opportunity coming up to do that.
0: Yes. Um, Now, Josh Frydenberg, the Treasurer, this week or just today, it's come out in all of the press, has issued a statement of expectations for ASIC. Um, And as we said, they were weak enough to start with. But uh, as the AFR put it today the corporate watchdog's controversial why not litigate mantra has been dumped. Um, And that had come in with James Shipton. But of course, as we've said before on the show, he was ousted uh, at the end of 2020 to make way for a a revival of the so-called economy by pumping out more money, and this is part of the whole agenda with watering down the responsible lending laws, all of the things that were brought in after the Royal Commission to allow things like the housing bubble, which is you know, what we mean when, when our leaders say economy, to allow that to take off again and create some new asset values for the select few.
1: Well, the why not litigate was what the Royal Commissioner had said, Justice Hayne. He said that to ASIC. Why not litigate? In other words... Why isn't your default when you look at a when you look at a banking crime say is why isn't it to say we're taking you to court, right? Including potentially criminal prosecutions. We're taking you, Mr. Director, Mr. Executive. We're taking you to court. That's what Haynes said to them. Yeah. Um, uh, this this article in the AFR was quoting um, a University of Wollongong um, uh, academic, Anthony Schlumer, who said, "Why not litigate?" Has been dumped to become "Why not capitulate?" Mm-hmm. right? ASIC's going back to giving into the banks again. Now, what this is what uh, Josh Frydenberg has done. He's released what's called a statement of expectations for the regulator. And this is an overarching statement that the regulator is supposed to abide by. Read, listen to this carefully. The government expects ASIC to, quote, identify and pursue opportunities to contribute to the government's economic goals, including supporting Australia's economic recovery from the COVID pandemic. In other words, they're telling ASIC to do something that's not a regulator's job. ASIC is the cop. It's there to make sure that when people are going about their economic business, they're not robbing people. Josh Frydenberg is saying, not anymore ASIC. We want banks to go back to robbing people. We want banks to pump up this property bubble so hard again that we can create this wealth effects cascading down all over everybody. Mm. That's our one trick for this economy, and that's going to involve, like it always has, enormous amounts of fraud, ripping people off, taking them to the cleaners, and you're going to do nothing about it. That's what Josh Frydenberg is saying in that, right? This is criminal, Mr Frydenberg. So we cannot let that stand. What, what Are we as Australian citizens going to go through the year of the Royal Commission and then two and a half years later, go, yeah, it doesn't matter if Mr. Frydenberg's flushing that down the toilet. Mm. No. We need an inquiry into ASIC. So, Elisa, let's play the video we've just made of the Sterling, the, reporting on the Sterling, we've made a five-minute video reporting on this Sterling first scandal. This is one case. Yeah. Right? That's all it is, is one case, but we're concentrating on it because it clearly shows ASIC's failings as a weak regulator and the cover-up, where they had no intention to do anything about it. And unlike a lot of other bank victims who, you know, if you're you're ripped off when you're 40, you can go back to work again, etc. These are all pensioners. They don't get to start again. And they're all going to be thrown out in the street if something's not done. So what's this? And then you'll see why we must do something about this. Over 100 elderly victims of the Sterling First scam are another demonstration of the financial corruption which Australia must clean out. I'm Robert Barwick of the Citizens Party. We'll tell you the shocking story of the Sterling First scandal in a minute and the truly disgusting role that the Federal Regulatory Agency, ASIC, played. Before we do, you should know that the way to clean out financial corruption starts with breaking the banking monopoly of the Big Four Banks by creating an Australia Post People's Bank. Such a public bank would break the stranglehold the Big Four Banks have over Australia. Here's a clip from Channel 10 News First reporting on the Sterling First scandal.
0: A kick in the guts for these retirees. Their life savings lost in the failed Sterling First scheme. Now the Supreme Court's ruled to kick them out of their homes.
1: I've got nowhere to go. They're going to take me out of there in a wheelchair. I'm not moving out. The Sterling First scam targeted elderly victims by promising them they would have their rent paid for the rest of their lives in exchange for a fixed amount. They were told their money was being put into a trust that would pay the rent. In fact, they were duped into putting their life savings into a convoluted managed investment scheme. When Sterling collapsed in 2019, 140 elderly victims lost everything, and many now face eviction from their homes. The throners out in the street. 70, 60, 70, 80, nearly 90-year-old people out in the street. Beryl and her husband Ray are two of those victims. Before they signed the agreement, Beryl called the Australian Securities and Investments Commission and asked if there are any red flags about sterling. ASIC is the government agency responsible for protecting people against such fraud. Beryl was told ASIC had no concerns about sterling, but ASIC knew that wasn't true. In fact, The founder of Sterling First was Ray Jones, who was discharged from bankruptcy in 2015. Ray Jones had been involved in other financial scandals in which mum and dad investors lost millions. The Financial Review reported in 1991 that, quote, investors had little indication they were investing in the rickety corporate empire of Mr. Ray Jones, end quote. Investors lost $30 million. Did ASIC know about Ray Jones? Of course they did. Another key figure in Sterling First is Simon Bell, one of their directors. Simon Bell was a key figure in the disastrous property development Ponzi scheme, West Point, which collapsed into receivership in 2006 with total losses of $388 million, of which less than half was recovered for investors. Take a look at this screenshot from the ASIC website. Did ASIC know about West Point? Obviously they did. ASIC received complaints about Sterling starting in 2015, according to the founder of the Banking and Finance Consumers Support Association and advocate for Sterling victims, Denise Braley. ASIC finally moved against Sterling First in September 2017 to stop them from selling more of their snake oil. Incredibly, however, ASIC allowed Sterling to set up a new shell called Silverlink. The new company raised another eight million dollars from unsuspecting victims until it was finally shut down. These elderly victims deserve to be compensated for ASIC's negligence. What we've related here is the tip of the iceberg. There is the smell of corruption all over this affair. Why was this allowed to happen? And why haven't the government and ASIC not done anything about it? How high up does this scandal go? We demand a Senate inquiry into ASIC and the Sterling First Affair. It's the first step in creating a whole new atmosphere in Canberra. It's time to have real regulations and honest regulators. But we also need to restructure the financial system itself. By establishing a Commonwealth Postal Savings Bank, we force the big four to compete, thereby breaking their monopoly. The mere presence of a public banking alternative will support the regulatory health of the financial system. The CPSB would invest in the real economy rather than speculative bubbles. It will begin to fence off a part of the financial system that is safe, where everyday people will be protected from financial predators. Please sign our petition calling for a National Australia Post Bank. No one should have to suffer the agony of seeing their life savings disappear and be thrown out into the street when the regulatory agencies could have easily prevented it. Please sign our petition and spread the word about it. So Elisa, that speaks for itself. That's real heartache and trauma you witnessed on the screen there. They got nowhere to go, right? That has to be addressed. The broader question of ASIC has to be addressed. So here's what we need to do um parliament sits next week it's at this week and it sits next week and it's all disrupted with COVID, of course but at least half of them are there but everyone's it's a it's a it's a proper parliamentary procedure all the ones and who aren't there are still participating it's the last sitting for about six weeks right till, till um the second half of october uh we need to use next week to get a breakthrough on this question of an ASIC inquiry right now, Josh Frydenberg has essentially done us a favour. There's going to be a lot of anger in Parliament about this announcement that he's just made, the statement of expectations. We need to make sure that becomes an inquiry and that Sterling First is a, is a part of the terms of reference of that inquiry, right? So on Monday, we'll, we'll issue marching orders in the form of a release where people can know who to call. But next week is one of those weeks, and regular viewers will understand what we do here, one of those weeks where we need you to hit the phone and get on your emails and call. The, the main target is every senator in your state, right? There's 12 senators in each state, except the, the territories. Every There's 12 of them. Please call them, email them, and say you must conduct an inquiry into ASIC and Sterling first, right? Um, when they get that blizzard of calls, we'll be making sure there's discussions going on among members of parliament, etc. It can happen very quickly. All we need is Labor, the Greens, and the crossbenchers to agree and I suspect they'll want to because of what Josh Frydenberg's done. All we need is them to agree, and it can actually happen very quickly. Once it happens, then those victims can put all their documentation into it. You can have um, proper hearings, etc. right, that actually start to get to the bottom of this and be the beginning of a process. So um, we, will, we will provide that information for people on our website, et cetera, um, as of Monday, okay? So look out for it then. Also, on the 8th of September, if you're in Western Australia, the, the, the victims, the WA-based victims of Stirling First are going to hold a protest at the State Parliament building on uh, between 11 o'clock in the morning and, not, and midday, noon. Um, it will be at the Perth Parliament House front entrance. So if you can, go along and support them right? There'll be a lot of people there, but make sure there's lots and lots of people there, Mm. right? And as part of this demand for, this will be at the end of this week of calls, part of this demand for um, uh, an inquiry. And Alyssa, I want to plug an article that's in this week's Australian Alert Service that I wrote. That's not why I'm plugging it, because it's an extraordinary about It's an extraordinary story, and it's called The Aussie Battler Standing Up to a Giant Bank. Now, this... This is the story of Wayne Ditchburn. I've got to know Wayne pretty well and his wife, Rowena, his partner, Rowena, uh, over the phone. They briefed me on what they went through. It's a story of, an, of extraordinary tenacity. One guy, he just refused to be a victim to it. They, they, he was a victim, un, unbelievably so, but he refused to buckle and he just kept at him and kept at him and kept at him. And thanks to his tenacity, he had extraordinary luck. One of The, like the centrepiece of the story is a, is, is a, is a totally unpredictable event that on, on which his fortunes turned, right? Um, but as Wayne himself says, it shouldn't take someone of his extraordinary tenacity to get justice from the banks, mm. right? There's a lot of little old grandmas who can't do what he did. Mm. And you need to have a better system that actually looks after the consumers in this country. I, I heartily recommend, we're going to have it on our website as well. People need to read Put that a link article. Up, yes, please. Up in the um,
0: info box. Um, and that, demonstrates it's another example, along with Stealing First, there's many, many more. This is just the tip of a very big iceberg, but it also demonstrates the real critical importance of bringing in competitors, as we said earlier, to uh, the big four banks. And a postal bank is the other campaign, of course, we have continually running in the background. We have our legislation for a Commonwealth Postal Banking Service ready to go. Um, and uh, one of our State Secretaries in Queensland, Jan Picalis, has taken this on the road again for the second time, visiting councils and unions and... Um, post offices and schools in dozens upon dozens of towns driving from Brisbane up to Rockhampton.
1: You call it the Rocky Road Tour.
0: Yeah, um, so they've had a really brilliant response. They actually, before they even left, had one council who they'd requested a meeting with um, send an email saying, well, there's no need to meet. We're already putting up that resolution. Um, So the response, the reception to that idea is great. I mean, in Rockhampton, for instance, um, the Commonwealth Bank branch is shutting down. We'll put up a picture. They've got a little... um, you know dotted line showing you how to get to the post office um, because they're just all these b- big banks are just relying upon their arrangement with the post office to keep functioning. but I mean they met an elderly couple out the front of the post office that uh, the bank I should say that was that was closing reading this sign that were you know rather distressed. Yep. so this is having very big impacts. and I wanted to just mention in the course of that campaign because the other um, aspect of having Postal banking function is access to cash, which is critical for people that can't um, use digital banking. It's critical for when our systems, electricity, etc. Yeah,
1: should never get go rid down of cash like the banks want.
0: Um, and there's been a breakthrough on that front in the United Kingdom that we've just heard about. Um, this is the second place after Sweden uh, to begin to legislate to protect cash. Norway was moving in that direction as well
1: It's quite extraordinary. A lot of these countries that have gone so far into the cashless direction in Sweden and harder than anybody. Mm. It gets too much and the government has to end up saying, there's got to be minimum cash access and now the the Brits have done the same thing.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, they've had it just in the last 18 months in the UK, 800 bank branches close. But, see, the post offices who have a similar arrangement that you can do your banking as we do in Australia with Bank at Post, the post offices are in real crisis and there's thousands of, of post office branches. They just can't find anyone to run them. So they're temporarily closed Because you just can't make a profit doing it, as we're finding here. And that's the situation we're running into here, which is why we put so much importance on our campaign, to save the LPOs with the whole Christine Holgate affair. Um, But in the 2020 budget, the UK government announced they were bringing forward legislation to protect access to cash and ensure that the UK's cash infrastructure is sustainable in the long term. Um, So this legislation is coming up. There's a... um, consultation in process now which ends in September Um, but the legislation will establish geographic requirements for the provision of cash withdrawal deposit facilities and other banking and of course there's quite a few freakouts coming from the banks and various commentators saying you can't force us to keep a bank branch open you don't force (laughs) other you know businesses to stay open etc etc.
1: Well you know what the comeback to that is though (laughs) well we kept you open in the crash. Well, yeah. So we can force you to keep your bank branches you, open. You
0: keep us open. We, we prop you up.
1: There is a social licence that comes with that. We tell you what to do. You, If you're not serving the community, what are you there for?
0: And there's other reactions, like in Wales, the government has just supported for a community bank to open. So they're pending the last regulatory approval, and that will go ahead. Um, so that's uh, critical, you know, to keep the heat on that campaign as we're going through these other mobilisations.
1: Again, there's an article about that in the Alert Service.
0: Yep. So you can find out more there. Now, onto our second topic: What will we learn from forty years of Afghanistan fiasco? And of course, we've seen the, that fiasco um, playing out over these last weeks with the US withdrawal. Elisa,
1: well, where well, there's a lot, the stuff that's happened in the last few weeks. Um, you just get disgusted at the media because uh, it's been happening for forty years. But when, but when we're trying to justify our presence there, right? All that stuff gets swept under the carpet mostly. Who cares? Now, there's now that the, that the Biden administration has finally said, and Trump said the same thing: enough's enough. We just got to cut it, right? All these people who are addicted to war and their media friends. Now suddenly it's oh we're the great and good and we're 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 you know this great mission we've had all this time look we're abandoning it what great mission yeah and, and it doesn't go back twenty years it goes back forty years and that's what people have to understand if they're going to know the truth of it
0: yeah so just briefly um, this began in nineteen seventy nine when the national security Advisor to Jimmy Carter the big new Brazinski um, talked Carter into signing an authorization for covert operations in Afghanistan which included recruiting and training the Mujahideen uh, for provocations against the pro-soviet government in Kabul with the explicit intention to draw the Soviets into a quagmire war Vietnam style war in Afghanistan
1: And that pro-soviet government be, you know it was evil it was it was a target all it was because it was pro-soviet but that government had equal rights for women education for women all those things they're freaking out about now mm-hmm. oh look we're abandoning the women. We destroyed a government that that 40 years ago had all that.
0: Mm -hmm. And as we've written in our... very well-received globally <clears throat> series on what's behind the whole um, business in Xinjiang and the targeting of China, again, in a similar way to how the Soviet Union was then targeted, Zbigniew Brzezinski was a follower of the doctrine of Bernard Lewis, um, what he called the arc of crisis, to run destabilizations along the southern flanks of Russia and now China.
1: Bernard and- Lewis was a British, they call him an orientalist, but, but essentially he was just the continuation of the this very... Well, not very ancient, but you know, like very old British divide and conquer imperial mentality, right? Of looking at it's all balance of power geopolitics. Um, we decide that you know the, the Soviets are our rival, so we are going to create a a, a balancing force against them. Mm-hmm. Does it matter if it's the, the the craziest, most extreme jihadist? No. Well, it's all justified.
0: Look, what happened at that point is why we have been faced with decades of international terrorism because that order to go in and support these Mujahideen fighters for their own purposes created al-Qaeda, ISIS, the Chechen and Uyghur separatist movements. Um, I mean, you had the US freeing people, terrorists, from jail from the Middle East through Northern Africa. Saudi Arabia was contributing to this plan, sending Uh, Wahhabi extremists sending money, including one of those extremists was Osama bin Laden. Um, so they, this was a massive build-up of these kind of capabilities. We'll talk in future weeks when we um, discuss the anniversary coming up, 20th anniversary of nine eleven, about the slush fund, yeah. which came out of um, agreements between the Saudis and the British to fund said terrorism. So this is a, a big, big can of worms here, which as a result of what's happened to this country, we have to make some good of it and bring the truth to bear about these issues. And you can also see... Um, The reality that that might happen from the reaction from the permanent war faction who are not happy that Biden pulled out. Um, And that is headlined by Tony Blair, who was the Prime Minister at the time of 9-11, of course, who denounced Biden for his obedience to an imbecilic political slogan about ending the forever wars.
1: In other words, we signed up for a forever war, mate. Didn't you get the memo?
0: So, And he's (laughs) one of the classic liberal interventionists who invented this idea that um, we Westerners can go in to intervene in other countries to preempt a crisis from happening, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But also from the conservative side, neo-conservative side, you had British Conservative MP Tom Tugendhat, who said, quote, "The fall of Kabul is the biggest foreign policy disaster since Suez. The operation to seize the canal in 1956 symbolised the end of Britain's global ambition and refocused us on NATO and alliances." And
1: that's, a, that's an incredibly revealing uh, quote. From Tom Tugendhat, the, yeah, Suez was the the end of the territorial British Empire. At least after that, it became, as we've exposed, a lot of financial, more of a financial empire, and it still is. But um, these, this was an imperial strategy, right? There was nothing. We've had fed, we've been fed 20 years of rubbish propaganda about why we're in Afghanistan, right? Achieved nothing. Sorry, achieved nothing. Well, apart whatever, from whatever, more
0: disaster and terror and- Well,
1: exactly. Whatever Scott Morrison says, no, no, achieved nothing. Mm. And, but, but now we're ending it because, because at a certain point, you know, people get sick of it and then presidents like in America say, OK, look, just, there's no nice way to end this. We've got to get out. These people are crying, oh, it's the end of our empire. And in mm. a sense, it is. And we've got to make sure that they, we don't let them just turn around and start another one.
0: Yeah. Now Biden had he's genuine in his opposition to these wars going on and on and on. He had opposed Obama's surge in two thousand and nine, um, but it remains to be seen uh, whether this blows up into a, a greater um, destabilisation along the flanks of well, the China and attack, Russia.
1: At least the terrorist attack today, which is tragic, by this they think it's this ISIS K organisation. Um, you know, the, war, the permanent war faction will seize on that to try and turn that into leverage to make, to drag Biden back in.
0: So the crucial thing for Biden and for any leaders, including our government, etc., is to support the movement in the region led by China and Russia and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which includes the um, Central Asian states, Pakistan, and you've got other countries involved like Iran as observers, Afghanistan's an observer. Um, and all the surrounding countries working together. There's proposals on the table that have been endorsed by the Shanghai Cooperation Organization in meetings in mid-July to extend the China-Pakistan economic corridor into Afghanistan um, with funding from the um, AIIB, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. Um, There's a proposed SCO investment (sighs) bank. You've got railways, roads, oil and gas projects. Um, I'll put up some pictures here. There's a map of a ring rail proposal to be built with rail around Afghanistan. There's a Russian proposal here, um, which is the the proposed rail in orange connecting to black railway lines for a north-south development corridor from Russia to Pakistan. And this final graphic shows the integration of Afghanistan into the Belt and Road with um, what is marked B there being the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor and what is marked F is the China-Central Asia-West Asia route. So this is already stuff that's in motion but we have to encourage it because now,
1: because this is what can give the afghan tribes people an alternative to an economy built on growing opium poppies right to export to the west in exchange for arms to protect growing opium poppies which fosters terrorism right that's that's yeah. that's their economy now and the, what what alternative do they have well Get them to be part of a larger, growing, developing economy in the region through this infrastructure. And you expect once your expectations change, right, then your methods can change. Now, and there'll be enormous opposition, but 20 years of what we've just what we've just tried hasn't worked. If you let if you turn around, dear viewer, and let, let our politicians in the coming months start telling us how sinister it is that China might be helping Afghanistan develop. Mm-hmm simply because it's China, right, and you fall for that, you're a mug.
0: Yeah. But for our government to shift its perspective is going to be, uh, you know, a miracle because you wrote an article today or this week about the Tampa crisis, which is also the 20th anniversary because that happened right before 9-11. Well,
1: yesterday, Elisa, was the 20th anniversary of the Tampa, the, the, uh, the refugees that the Tampa picked up, their boats sinking and the Tampa coming to their aid. And that began our treatment of refugees, the current policy we've got. And one of the things, I, reason I wrote the article was to remind people of the anniversary, but also to destroy this myth once and for all, that what we're doing to these people is to save lives, to stop drownings at sea. John Howard did that before anybody drowned at sea. He did it to, at a desperation to win an election, and then went, and they were still stuck on that boat, that ship, because he refused to let them disembark. The, 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 so it was the 26th of August they picked up. They were still stuck on there on the 11th of September when, when 9-11 happened. And because they're Afghanis, the, the nasty set in Australia insinuated that they were part of the terrorism threat suddenly. Suddenly so it was a security issue. And then a few weeks later, the, um, they, they told us children had been thrown overboard. That's the sort of people these are. They throw their own children overboard. It was a lie. And then one of these boats sank with 353 lives lost, the Civ X. And, and that story has never been told how it happened, but it happened after we had authorised the Navy or deployed the Navy to intercept these boats and turn them around. And Australians began to accept suddenly that we should mistreat innocent people um, uh, in order to make an example of them, to stop, us, to stop us being flooded from wars that our allies had caused. These were people fleeing the Taliban who we had stirred up 20 years earlier with Mm -hmm. Zbigniew Brzezinski and Margaret Thatcher, right? So they're fleeing them, and we said, no, you're not coming in. Um, Some of these people, there are young men in hotels in Melbourne that have been there for two and three years. They can't leave their hotels, right? They're in indefinite detention. The only reason they're there is because they're on Manus and Nauru, and they're medevaced here for medical reasons, and... So they had no future in Manus and Nauru. They were there indefinitely in limbo. Now they're in limbo in hotels. They can't leave the hotel. And if you've been through 14 days hotel quarantine, and a lot, lot of Australians have, you know it's, it's hell. It's stir crazy. They've been there for years, and they still can't. Every now and then they let one or two of them out. But in general, there's no prospects for leaving. I want to play just one little clip. Craig Foster is the former Socceroos captain. He's become a huge spokesman for trying to end this policy. And just, just watch this clip of him talking to um, one of the refugees. We cover, him, uh, we cover him in the article this week, and it's also a, a press release we did. Um, this refugee's name is Kazra, and he's just describing, as a young guy, his prospects.
0: Especially the, the medical is uh, really bad treating us, and they don't give us any uh, uh, good treatments or um, uh, medicine. And they come to my room, and they pack search my body, not proper uh, um food for us and uh, sometimes it's uh, uncooked and raw uh, personally i don't care um uh, the the food it's uh, become uh, delicious or uh, it was a high class food no i'm talking about the food has to be cooked they give us raw meat or um, uncooked rice and uh, it's it's damaged our digestive system.
1: So there you go. I mean, this is um, what do you say? This is what we're doing to people in the name of this policy. And then, lo and behold, the anniversary t- coincides with what's happening in Kabul now. And what did Scott Morrison say? If they, if those people. And there's a big scandal about the ones that worked with the Australian forces and that we've left them behind and abandoned them and we're trying to, you know, hustle harder to, to get them out now. But still, there's plenty going to be left behind. If those ones, out of their desperation, not only flee Afghanistan, but then decide, well, I work with Australia, I'm going to go to Australia. And they pay people smuggler to get into Indonesia and then try and get onto Australia. By boat. By boat. We will lock them up indefinitely.
0: Because that's our
1: policy. Because that's our, that's what Scott Morrison did. And the four, said. And the 4,500... Refuge Afghans here on temporary protection visas. He has said they will never be given a visa, despite what's happened in Afghanistan, because that's our policy. If
0: they come by boat.
1: If this is this is un-Australian, but unfortunately, under these governments since John Howard, they've turned, they've twisted what Australian is, and people think this is Australian. I don't think it is, and I think I'm appealing to. You know, you cannot accept what you cannot see what's happening in Kabul now and still accept this kind of policy. And we have to change it, please. We've got to be a humanitarian country first and foremost and solve the problems another way if they have to be solved.
0: Mm. Now, that's all we've got time for this week, but don't forget to call your senator about making, turning ASIC back into a real regulator. We've got to get an inquiry into that going immediately. We've got this week, this coming week yes. to do it. So that's your top priority. Call us if you need any more information or help in doing that. We'll, do, we'll, us. We'll, we'll
1: issue a release on Monday with the, all the instructions So like
0: look out that. for that. Um, so don't forget to hit the like button, subscribe and tune in for next week's show. Thanks, Robbie.
1: Thanks, Elisa.
0: Thanks, everyone. And see you next week.